As they worked their way up, uh, Matt asked me a couple of months ago if I'd be willing to preach this morning, and in some moment of weakness, I said yes. And um, but I do want to say, and, and I'm not. Uh, Matt would probably punch me if uh, if he knew I was going to do this. But guys, I want you to know that I love our pastor. Do you guys love our pastor? He's been a good friend to me over the last few years and uh, an encouragement, a teacher, a leader for all of us. And I'm, I want to pray for him today and his family as they have some time to themselves. And uh, so let's just join one another and let's pray. Ask God to be with us today. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people in this room. And God, I pray today that you would uh, work mightily in our lives, that you would speak clearly through your word that we wouldn't waste our time in this place, God. We don't come here out of routine or um, because we have to, God. We come to this place because we want to sit in your presence. We want to hear from your word. We want to experience being with your body, uh, your hands, and your feet. And so, God, I pray today during this service that that would be true. Uh, God, we do pray for Matt, and we pray for Valerie today. We pray for their family God, we pray for just uh, rest for them. We pray for a time of uh, refreshing, God, as they worship you today in another spot. And God, we pray uh, for churches around this community, God, that your name would be lifted up this morning, that people would be drawn to you, that their lives would be changed because for the very first time they hear and know how much you love them. God, we pray that that's true in this church and in churches all around our community, around our state, around our world. God, thank you for loving us. God, just uh, be with us. Be clear this morning, God. We want to hear from you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So my wife, Denise, uh, every, time there's a, every time I've ever spoken anywhere uh, or every time uh, we have a guest speaker of any kind, if that person or myself, uh, if they don't take a few moments to introduce themselves to the people in the, uh, in the audience there, she always says, why didn't they introduce themselves? There's got to be some people who don't know who they are. Like, I know who they are, but not everybody in there knows who they are. And so I wanted to make sure this morning that I took a few minutes to introduce myself to you because there's some of you in here that have known me way too long. And there's some of you in here who, have, who don't know, you don't have any idea in the world of who I am. So uh, my name is Joel Bench, and uh, I am married to uh, my wife, Denise. She's back there. I have two great daughters, uh, Hannah and Hallie. Uh, Hannah is a senior at Oklahoma Baptist University. Hallie's a junior at Greenville Christian School. And uh, I have a future son-in-law. I don't know if he's in the house. There he is. I have a future son-in-law. Two and a half months, if he survives, he'll be my son-in-law. And uh, his name's Jordan. Uh, my folks are also here. Many of you may know them, Jerry and Jean Bench. I grew up in Greenville, Texas. I was born here, raised here, graduated high school here. And then I went off for a few years to Texas Tech University. And um, I, st- I still got an education. And uh, it was a great time. <laughs> then I, uh, I went to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. And I spent about 15 years in student ministry uh, in Fort Worth area, actually in Lubbock and Fort Worth area, and then here in Greenville as well. And uh, I won't take any responsibility for Justin Milton, but I will take some credit. Uh, Justin was in uh, my student ministry and worked as an intern for me, taught me a lot of things uh, while he was my intern, so I appreciate that. 
Um, so I, uh, like I say, I spent about 15 years. By the way, now, after those 15 years in uh, student ministry, about 14 years ago, I went to work for a band called Mercy Me. Many of you know who they are. And uh, so the last 14 years, I've been working for Mercy Me. They, they call me, I'm their road manager. They call me their road pastor. Uh, really, uh, 14 years ago, that's kind of what they were looking for. My job's morphed a lot in the last 14 years. Uh, but I travel a lot, and uh, you may see my wife, Denise, sitting alone. I promise you, our marriage is really good. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's strong and healthy, and the fact that I'm not here sitting by her does not speak to what our marriage is like. Uh, it's strong. It's, it's a good marriage. And so, um, but, but I travel. I work uh, for Mercy Me on the road. I make sure they're where they're supposed to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. And uh, it's really a lot like student ministry still. I just have like... <laughs> five kids that I deal with on an ongoing basis. So, um, so anyway, I wanted to spend that time just introducing myself and, and but I thought, you know, like what's a, a way to really get to know somebody. And I don't know if you've ever been over to any, anyone's house, you know, you're trying to kind of get to know them and spend some time with them. And they're like, Hey, we went on this really cool vacation. So why don't I show you some slides and you, that way you can kind of get to know me. So I thought, you know what, what better way for you guys to get to know me than for me to show you some vacation slides? So, so here they are. So this summer, uh, Denise and I, we spent uh, uh, 10 days in Maine. If you've never been to Maine, take some time and get to Maine. Uh, so beautiful. The weather was amazing. Uh, there were lighthouses there, and Denise had a really cool hat. And... Uh, and we had a great time there. And then not only that, but then we, uh, the cool thing about Maine is that there's ocean there uh, and uh, it's, it's beautiful. Like there's a little beach right there. People didn't really want to get in the water. I think the water was like 60 degrees or something, but uh, they're all out there acting like they're going to get in the water. And it was really beautiful there walking along the coast. And then right next to the, uh, that is uh, there's these beautiful mountains. Like you're literally hiking through the mountains and you step through some trees and you're standing by the beach. Like what, you know, it's such a great place. It's beautiful. This is actually a place called Jordan Pond that Denise and I walked around. And uh, you'll see here, there's a trail that goes around Jordan Pond and uh, it goes through these beautiful trees and uh, it's just like a little wood plank. You kind of walk through there and you can see everything. Oh, it was, it was a beautiful time, a great vacation. And so, uh, I, is that enough, Denise? Is that a good enough intro, you think? I'm kidding. The, the slides weren't just for an intro. Uh, I have a point here. And so Denise and I were going on this vacation and I'd done a lot of planning. I decided I really wanted to go there and spend some time in Maine and see all the cool things. We saw everything from the world's largest blueberry, which is not a blueberry, by the way. It's like a big dome building they painted blue. Um, but we saw the ocean. We saw uh, mountains. We saw beautiful trees. We saw all of these things. But as I was researching Maine and going to Maine, one of the things that, uh, that I kept reading about, and I thought, man, that's really cool. And the, we went to Acadia National Park. Acadia National Park is, uh, is one of the most visited national parks in the country, and it's the place where all these pictures were taken. But the, um, in Acadia, there's a mountain there. It's called Cadillac Mountain. And uh, if you've ever been there, it's uh, one of the highest points on the uh, eastern coast. And uh, you can go up on top of Cadillac Mountain. You can see uh, ocean for miles. You can see mountains for miles. It's such an amazing spot. And so I'd been reading about that, and I found this cool tidbit. And uh, the information I read said that uh, on top of Cadillac Mountain, you can go there, and you can get the very first glimpse of the sun in the United States. So sunrise uh, in, in the United States, the very first 
glimpse of the sun peeking over the, the horizon you can see from the top of Cadillac Mountain. I said, man, this would be great. It's awesome. Uh, I want to see that. I want to experience that. And so uh, Denise and I had been driving. We flew into Boston. We drove uh, a few hours. And we didn't get in uh, to Acadia until kind of late at night. I was like, you know what? Let's don't go tomorrow morning because we've been driving and traveling all day. We're kind of tired. Let's, let's sleep in a little bit. We'll get up and, you know, eat more than we should and go about our business. But we'll do the, we'll do the sunrise thing in the next day. So we woke up and we hiked all over uh, Acadia National Park, like seven, eight, nine miles. I don't know how far it was. It seemed like way more than that. But we hiked all over the place that night. We ate good. We, we went back and you know, I was like, man, I'm, I'm really tired. Like we've had a really long day of hiking and spending time out. And, and let's, don't, let's don't go see the sunrise tomorrow because it, it, we'll, we'll go the next day. Like it'll, it'll be really pretty there. And by the way, here's a picture of that sunrise isn't that beautiful? So the sun just peeks up over the ocean out there and you're standing up above it. It's unbelievable. And so we'd been hiking all day. And so, uh, by the way, this is not my picture. I stole that off the internet. (laughs) So here's, here's our picture. (laughs) Man, it was, it is a beautiful sight, and this was this was uh, sunrise. Well, okay, it was 11 a.m. All right, <laughs> we got there about 11 a.m. It was only like five and a half hours after sunrise, and uh, it was still beautiful. And we still got to stand there in the presence of the effects of that sunrise, like the sun had risen that morning, and we stood on top of the mountain in the effects of that sunrise. But we missed it; we didn't get to see it. And so here I am back in Greenville, Texas, having been that close to being a part of that sunrise and seeing that beautiful sight that I ripped off the internet there. And this is as close as I got. Like Denise and I, uh, we were really close. We knew something. We understood information. Like we were aware of something that was there, and yet we don't know it personally because uh, too many things got in the way. And so... I want us to look this morning because I think there's a lot of folks these days in the church, maybe even in this church, who have heard a lot, who understand a lot about God, who understand a lot about Christ, who have walked closely with people who understand and know Christ, and, and yet they don't know him fully. They haven't experienced it. Maybe they're even standing in the effects of Christ. Like they attend church regularly. They study their their Bible. They do all of these things. They're standing in the effects of knowing Christ, and yet they don't know Christ. And so I want us to look in Philippians chapter 3 this morning, and we're going to talk a little bit about Paul and what he says about knowing Christ If you don't have a Bible, Matt always says there's a Bible right in front of you in the pew, and that's the church's gift to you. If you don't have one, feel free to take it. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start off in verses 7 and 8. Paul says this. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may know Christ. Now listen, here was what was going on. 
this letter was written by Paul to the church in Philippi somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 AD, uh, according to scholars out there. Matt could say that very authoritatively today and you would believe him. I just, I'm telling you, I read that somewhere. Um, he wrote this book in about 60 AD. Paul had helped to plant the church in Philippi somewhere around 49 or 50 AD. And so this is about a 10-year span after the church had begun. And Paul is writing to them from his normal location, right? He's in prison. And uh, he's writing to them. And the reason for his writing is that there had begun to be this group of religious leaders, teachers, that had begun to stir things up in Philippi. They called these teachers leaders. They called them the Judaizers. And the reason for that was that they were Jews, obviously, and uh, they would say that Christ was good, he was fine, but if you really want to be right with God, you basically still need to be a Jew. Jesus is a good thing, he's a great guy, we think he was neat, you know, we're glad what you guys are doing here, but if you really want to be right with God, then you basically need to be a Jew. You need to uphold all the rules. Uh, the biggest thing for them was circumcision. Guys, here's the thing. A ton of these new believers were not Jewish, and so they were not circumcised. So the Jewish leaders would say, hey, in order for you to really be right with God, you've got to join us. You've got to become a Jew so that you can be right with God. Jesus is good, but there's more. And so Paul writes to this church in light of that uh, thing going on, and he says to them that all the gain I had, I count as loss. So what is this gain that he's talking about? What, are, what is he talking about that he had gain that is now lost? If we peek back up in verses uh, four through six, we see what Paul's talking about. So he addresses these Judaizers, and in prime Paul fashion, he basically says, hey, you think you got this all together? Like, I'm way better than you. I'm way better than you. That's how Paul responded. He said, you want to talk about rules and laws and position? You want to talk about family background? You want to talk about heritage? Like, I'm way better than you in all of those things. And so he begins to count them off. If you look there, verse 5, he says that he was circumcised on the eighth day. Guys, Paul was basically born in the church, right? Like that was the customary day for a, a Jewish child to be circumcised. They wouldn't wait any longer than that. They wouldn't go any earlier than that. Eighth day. So from the get-go, he was in the church. From the get-go, he was uh, involved in every right ritual, every right plan, every right step. In order to be right, he was there. On the eighth day, he was circumcised. The next thing he says is, he says he was of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Basically, he says, I am a pure blood Jew. And not only that, I'm from one of the best Jewish families, period, the tribe of Benjamin. This, this tribe of Benjamin goes all the way back, guys. And there's a good chance, maybe, that uh, Paul's namesake, actually, King Saul, right? So this family was respected. It was known the tribe of Benjamin. So when Paul said that he was uh, of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, people would be like, whew, that's a good family. That's a great family. There's a lot of history, a lot of heritage there. So he said that. And then next he says, as to the law of Pharisee. Now guys, for us, 
uh, in these days, when we look at the Pharisees in, in Scripture, a lot of times we think, man, those guys were so stupid, like they missed it. Jesus was right there underneath their noses, and they didn't see it. In fact, all they did was throw the law up in his face. All they did was try to question him and trip him up, and like, man, they were so evil and bad. But here's the thing, guys. In those days, the Pharisees were the most respected scholars, leaders, religious people of the day. Like they knew more, had the answers that people needed. They went to them. They were well-respected. Paul said, I was a Pharisee. I was the top, smartest, best in my class. I understood and knew the word better than anybody else understood and knew the word. He said, I was a Pharisee. The, The next thing he says is, he says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Now, to us on this side of things, we look at that and we think, well, that was a bad thing, right? I mean, he was killing Christians. But if we look and step back onto these Judaizers side and we look at the Jewish side of things, like Paul was the most active person doing the thing that the church wanted him to do at that appropriate time. He was doing exactly what he thought God had called him to do, and that was to stop this movement that was taking away from the Jewish church at the time. And he says, he says, I was a persecutor. I was zealous. I was active. Like, you want to be active in church? Paul was active in church. Like, he went around from community to community. He had been sent out to stop this movement from going on. Like, many, many of us go on mission trips or we're involved in activities. Paul says, I was more involved. I was more zealous, more active, more everything than you could possibly be. And then lastly, he says this, as to righteousness, blameless. Paul says, I was perfect. Now listen, guys, I don't believe that Paul was saying that he never sinned or he never fell short of the the rules, but here's what he was saying. When I fell short, I did what it took to make it right. When I fell short, I sacrificed. When I stumbled, I made it right. When I said the wrong thing, I fixed what I said. He said, I was blameless when it came to righteousness. Nothing got through in my life. Every law, every rule, everything I did right. And so he speaks to these Judaizers and he says, listen, you want to talk about rules? You want to talk about family? You want to talk about heritage? You want to talk about all those things? Listen, I'm better than all of you, but, but, in verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Guys, Paul's doing some uh, accounting here. Some of you guys are accountants, maybe in the room, numbers, you do all those kinds of things. Paul's speaking in accounting terms. He's talking about gains and losses at this point. He's talking about as if he had a scale. And he says, all my life, I've been piling stuff onto this scale in an effort to try to tip it in my direction. I'm the most religious. I have the best family. I have the most activity. I, I, I try to be perfect. And, and all his life, he's trying to tip this scale in his direction and, and, and make it his gain. And what he says in verse 7, he says, There came a point in my life on the road to Damascus where Jesus came storming into my life. He came rushing into my life and he crushed all of those things, all of the things that I'd been piling onto the scale my entire life. Jesus pushed those things off and he stomped on the scale. And for the very first time in Paul's life, the scale tipped and never tipped back because Jesus was better than all of those things. 
That's Paul's accounting today. He says, I had all these gains. I had all this stuff in my life. And Jesus, at that one moment when he came into my life, he tipped the scales for me. Guys, I want us to hear this morning. He obviously felt like it was important to know Christ. And when I started looking at this passage, I was like, yeah, it's obviously important. Knowing Christ is more important than all of these things. Knowing Christ is, is the greatest thing. What does it mean to know Christ? Like, what does that mean? Because when I, when I start to talk about knowing Christ, I want to say, well, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to be in church more. I'm going to do all those things. Paul just said those things are all lost in compared to knowing Christ. And so what is knowing Christ? So I want us to look at this passage in uh, Philippians chapter 3. We already started in verse 7. But I want us to see three things that I think knowing Christ is uh, today for you. And the first thing I want you to see there in verse 7 and 8 is that I believe that to know Christ means that we trade our desires, our plans, our things, our entire lives for Christ. In order to know him, we trade everything for him. We give it all up. Paul said, he's, he's a clear example of what this means. So I mentioned to you in verse 7 that he's speaking in past tense. He says in verse 7, he says, I counted it as loss. He's speaking about that road to Damascus experience when he came to know Christ. At that moment, he was face to face with Christ. He heard the voice of God and he counted it as loss. All of the things that he had done before in his life, he counted them as loss at that moment. Guys, a lot of us, a lot of people uh, walking through their lives and they come face to face with Christ, maybe in a church service or maybe at a, at a youth camp or, or maybe in their lowest moment, they come face to face with Christ. And in that moment, they say, yes, God, it's all yours, everything. I give it all to you. Thank you for saving me. It's all yours. And uh, they do that. And, and honestly, it, it, that's sort of an easy thing to say. It's sort of an easy thing to do. And a lot of people have done that and do that on a regular basis. But if we continue on into verse 8, listen again what Paul said in verse 8. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So in verse 8, Paul changes from past tense, I counted everything as loss, and he says, now, at this moment, I count everything as loss. I still count it as loss. Listen, Paul has been a Christian for 30 years at this point. He, that, that road experience on the road to Damascus was 30 years prior to the writing of this letter. He says right here, 30 years later in my walk with Christ, I still count it all as loss. And you say, well, okay, that's great, but what did he lost? Listen, guys, Paul had lost everything. Paul had lost his family, potentially. He had lost wealth. He had lost position. He had lost friends. He had lost maybe his home. He was in prison. He had been beaten. He had been all of these things for the sake of Christ. All of these things. And listen, here's the other thing. I don't know if you realize it or not, if you've thought about it or not, but when Paul had his conversion on the road to Damascus, he wasn't automatically embraced by the church. Like they were afraid of him. He had been killing them. And so there was a time in Paul's life completely alone. No one, no one to back him up. No one to support him. 
No one to say, hey, you got it right. Most people just to say, hey, you got it wrong. What are you, crazy? Paul had lost everything, everything. We can think about some other people in, in the word too. We think about Job. Job had lost his family. He lost his, his land. He lost his animals. He lost all of these things. All he really had left was his wife and a few people who he called friends that really weren't very good friends. And his wife was really kind of a nag. So she, it was a bad thing. He had lost everything. And Job's response, it's all about God. I trust him. I rely on him. And so Paul is that example to us. And guys, I want us to see here that we need to ask ourselves today. We need to say, if it was all gone for us, if everything else was gone, would Christ still be enough? Or do we really just like our comfortable life do we really just like being good people? Do we really just like being a part of a great church, being around our family, being great dads, great moms, great sons or daughters? Are those the things that we really value in our lives? Or if that was all gone, everything gone, would Christ still be enough? Paul says, not only is it enough, but it is surpassing worth. He goes, he says, it's better than it was the first day I met him. It's, it's better knowing him now after I've lost everything than it even was the first day that I met him. In fact, here he says, uh, he says everything else, all of those good things, everything good about me is rubbish. We won't go too in depth in here, but I want you to understand that that word right there in uh, the original language is a really severe word. And uh, in fact, it's, it's almost a curse word. He says it's rubbish, it's garbage, it's refuge, refuge, it's manure is what he says. He says everything in my life is not, it's not that I'm gonna set it aside for now. It's not that I'm gonna say, yeah, God, for now, I'll set this over here for you and I'll live for you and it's just gonna be there and it's okay. He says, no, everything about my life is worth throwing away and never picking up again. Like that's what we do with rubbish. That's what we do with manure. We throw it out and we don't go back to it. And that's what Paul says about everything in his life. Guys, I want you to know that... Uh, Paul wasn't talking about bad things. He was talking about good things. And yet he understood that those good things in his life could distract him from the very best thing. And that thing is Christ. And it's easy for us to say, yeah, man, I would definitely prefer Christ over being like a drug addict. And I would prefer Christ over being like a murderer. I definitely prefer Christ over those things, right? But Paul says, even the very best of who I was is nothing, zero, compared to knowing Christ. So guys, I want you to know that to know Christ means that we trade everything we have, our desires, our plans, our things, our entire lives for him. I don't really know what it's gonna cost you in order to really know Christ. Like for Paul, it costs everything. It may cost you everything to really know him. It may not. It may not cost you that much. That's really not the question. The question is, is where is your value? 
Do you value your family? Do you value your religiosity? Do you value your knowledge and understanding more than you value Christ? If you do, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. And we've got to throw it away. We've got to step away from it. Knowing Christ means that we give him everything so that we might know him. The second thing here, knowing Christ, we'll find in verse 9. Knowing Christ means that we live by faith in his power and not our own. Verse 9 says that we would be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Knowing and being found in him means that we will never be good enough on our own, but because of what he's done on the cross, we are already good enough. We don't rely on our own abilities. We don't rely on our own strength. We don't rely on our own knowledge. Instead, we say, God, only by your strength, only by your sacrifice, only by your work do I have any righteousness at all. And I have faith in that. Here's what we're guilty of, though, a lot of us, is that we're still doing the math like Paul was. We're still weighing things out. Oh, yeah, I believe that. Christ is everything. Uh, Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection, that's the answer to all things. But you know what? In the meantime, like, I've got to kind of figure this out. Like, I need more good things in my life than I need bad things in my life. I need to go to church at least three out of four Sundays because that's better than 50%. If it was 50%, that's on the edge, but 75% is better. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to weigh that out. Or if I spend one more uh, quiet time in the word, that's going to make me closer to God and better than that person who doesn't spend that time in the word. And so we begin to do this thing. We may not want to admit it, but we know it's true when we really get down to it. We're doing the math all the time. Am I better than I am bad? Am I a better person than I am a bad person? And so we weigh this thing out over and over and over again. Listen, guys, it's a waste of time. It's a waste. Our righteousness does not come by our works. It does not come by us following the rules. It does not come by us doing work. Our righteousness only comes by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is it. That's it. And if you put your faith in that, you trust in God that he is of his word, that what he has promised you is true and real, then you can know today that Instead of doing this balancing act to try to figure out if you're okay with God or not, you can know this. If you know Christ, you are okay with God. You are because of what he has done, not because of what you have done. Now, am I saying to you today, don't do anything. Don't study your Bible. Don't go to church. No, of course I'm not saying that. Of course I'm not. Those things in your life should be an overflow of Christ living in and through you, but they should never be what you balance your life on. They should never be what you weigh the good and the bad on. They should be an overflow of Christ, the Holy Spirit in you saying, this is what it's like to live and know Christ. This is what it's like. So we need to analyze ourselves today and we need to ask ourselves, are are we living a life that is, is righteousness based on his power or are we trying to live a life that is righteousness based on our own power? We need to analyze that. Knowing God means that we live by his power and not our own. The third thing that I want you to see here is that knowing Christ means freedom and victory in a new life through his grace and mercy on the cross. Look at verses 10 and 11. 
It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So some of us in here uh, may be saying, Joel, listen, like this whole balancing act, like I don't have a chance at that. Like, I know I would never be good enough. Like, I know I would never be able to do enough things. Like, in fact, you don't know about the sin in my life. You don't know about the struggles that I deal with on a daily basis. You don't know about uh, the fears that I have and, and all these things. I, I'll never be enough. Like, I'm just here today because it's, it's something. But, man, I, I know that there's no way God could ever forgive me. He could never uh, give me that righteousness that you're talking about. Listen. I want you to hear clearly today that if you know Christ, that's not who you are. If you know Christ, if you have come to a place in your life where you have come face to face with Christ like Paul did on that road to Damascus, and he has overwhelmed you, he has come in, he loves you, he cares about you, he died on the cross for you, he was resurrected for you, then that sin, that struggle, that fear, those pains in your life, that is not who you are. The word says that we are a new creation. If you look in Romans chapter six, verse four, it talks about that we have been buried in his death and we're raised to a new life. Now listen, Satan's gonna remind us over and over and over again about that old life. He's gonna say, hey, he's saying you're okay, but man, remember that sin? Remember that thing you did? Remember that stuff you looked at? Remember those comments you made? Remember when you yelled at your kids and your your wife? Like, you'll never be good enough. Come on. Don't let him fool you. You'll never be good enough. The, The opposite of that is that Jesus says, I'm good enough, and I love you, and I died for you. And because of that, you're a new creation, and you have a new life, and you can live in that life in freedom and power and strength, knowing that it's about him and not about you. It's not you. You say, man, I continue to sin. I I continue to fall. I continue to struggle with those things. Listen, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. You're not that sin. You're not that failure. You're not that bad parent. You're not an alcoholic. You're not addicted to porn. You are a new creation in Christ because of his work on the cross and because of his resurrection. And we can live in that freedom and that victory. Your sin's forgiven. The sin that you've already committed, the sin that you will commit. If you know Christ, your sin is forgiven. Because of the power of his resurrection, that sin no longer has power over us. It no longer is able to take us out of the hand of God. Can it make our life miserable? Yes. Can it mess with our eternity? No. Because we are secure in the hand of God because of what Christ did on the cross. Sin no longer has power over us. We live in the power of his resurrection. We have power to to conquer sin in our life because of what he's done. You say, I just can't, I just can't. You can, because you're a new creation. And Christ lives in you. And the power of his resurrection and the power of his Holy Spirit can and will conquer sin in your life if you press into him, if you 
go toward him, if you want to know him, you do have the power to conquer sin in your life. We have the power to be like him. The verse um, 10 says that we become like him in his death. We have died and we have been raised to a new life if we know Christ. We need to live in that new life of freedom and victory. Galatians 2, 20 and 21, one of my favorite uh, passages in the, in the Bible says this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Guys, Christ did not die for nothing. Christ died for you. Christ died for me. And the result of that is I can live a life of victory and freedom from the sin that continues to pile onto me because he is victorious over that. And the result of that is I can be victorious over that as well. One last word from Paul here. If we go down a little bit more into verse 12. Paul says this. Remember, Paul met Christ face-to-face on the road to Damascus. Paul had walked with Christ for 30 years. He had started church after church. He, was, he obviously wrote uh, a ton of our New Testament here that we go to all the time. And he says this in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Guys, it's not something that just happens. Knowing Christ is not just a a switch we flip and all of a sudden everything's perfect and we live according to his righteousness and sin never has any effect on us and all of those things happen. I wish it was that easy. I wish that I could just say to you, hey, just do this and bam, you'll know Christ, you'll know him and you can, all these other things will go away, they'll be lost to you. It's not that easy. Paul says, all these years of my life, all this time I've been seeking the Lord, all this time I've been struggling with these things and I have not yet obtained it, but here's what I do. I press on. I press into him. So many of us have given up or so many of us have put our lives on cruise control because we're already religious enough or healthy enough or good enough or our families are okay and we've put our life on cruise control and we're just easing along, being good enough. I think I'm gonna make it. I think I'm gonna make it. Or we've turned our lives off altogether because we'll never make it. We could never be good enough. We could never, guys, he says, press in to me every day. Press into me. I'm here We're already Christ's. He already knows us. Now, our goal is to to know him, to live with him, to experience him, to know him deeply, not just know about him. Listen, I spent way too much time at the beginning of this service introducing myself to you. And you may walk out of this room later on and you may say, yeah, yeah, I know Joel now. Yeah, hey, you know Joel Bench? Yeah, I know him, man. He raised in Greenville. His family's all back there and went to school at Tech, barely got an education. And he, he uh, yeah, I know him. He works for Mercy Me. Yeah, I know Joel. Hey, here's the truth of the matter. There is a handful of people in this room that know Joel Bench, who truly know Joel Bench. 
My wife knows Joel Bench. My parents know Joel Bench. My brother, who's back there, unfortunately knows way too much about Joel Bench. Here's why they know me. They have sacrificed for me. They would give up anything for me. They would lay down their lives for me. They have walked with me through good things and bad things, through victories, through struggles, through troubles, through pain. They have been there with me and they know me. Guys, that's the kind of relationship we gotta desire with Christ. We gotta say, I wanna know you. I wanna sacrifice I want to give my life to you. I want to walk with you. I want to experience you. I want to feel pain. I want to suffer. I want to have victory. I want to win with you. I want to do all that kind of stuff. And he says, press into me. And you can know me. There's two kinds of folks in this room today, maybe that this message was for. Maybe some of you it wasn't for you at all. Two kinds of folks that this message were. One is you don't know Christ like you've never met him. Like you've never had even a, a moment on the Damascus Road where you've understood anything about him and you don't know him today. Can I just say this? If that's you today, he wants to know you. And that can happen today. He's calling out to you today. I want to know you. I want to experience, I want you to experience life with me. So if that's you today and you say, Joel, I've never, ever once even come close to knowing who Christ is, you can do that today. And he's calling after you. The second group of folks in this room today, maybe like Paul, 30 years down the road in your Christian walk, maybe you're two years down the road, maybe you're a year, maybe you're 50 years down, your, down the road in your walk with Christ. And your life has become this routine it's become this be a good person life. It's become be involved in church a little bit more. Go on one more mission trip, one more Bible study, one more committee that I'll serve on, one more whatever it is. And we've begun this just train of trying our best to just be as good as we can possibly be. Listen, folks, it's rubbish. It's trash. Lay it down today and say, I just want to know Christ. I just want to know Christ. I want to walk in victory with him. I want to press into him. Today, I want to know Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much uh, for this time in your word. And I thank you for a man like Paul who had every right to stand and say, I'm great, I'm good, and I've got this under control. And yet he pours out his heart and he says, this is rubbish. This is nothing compared to knowing Christ. God, I pray that that would be our word today. I pray that we would be able to say to you that our only desire is to know you and, and to know you more, to press into you today. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you constantly press into us and that you'll never leave us. God, we love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.